0: Good morning! (laughs) Welcome to Grace Community Church this morning. If you haven't met me yet, my name is Teresa Breeding. I am the Women's Ministry Director and one of the teaching pastors here at Grace. And if uh, any of you ladies would like to join our Women's Ministry, we have a monthly meeting and we're meeting this Tuesday night, June 1st, at 6 o'clock in the gym. And we would love for you to join us. Uh, Before we get us started this morning, I'd like to recognize that it is Memorial Day weekend a lot of you get an extra day off work and get to have cookouts and enjoy your families but in the midst of all that let us not forget that there were men and women who died for us to have that freedom and that's what memorial day weekend is all about
1: sometime back i received in the name of our country the bodies of four marines who had died while on active duty. I said then that there is a special sadness that accompanies the death of a serviceman, for we're never quite good enough to them. Not really, we can't be, because what they gave us is beyond our powers to repay. And so when a serviceman dies, it's a tear in the fabric, a break in the and All we can do is Remember, it is, in a way, an odd thing to honor those who died in defense of our country, in defense of us, in wars far away. The imagination plays a trick. We see these soldiers in our mind as old and wise. We see them as something like the Founding Fathers, grave and gray-haired. But most of them were boys when they died, and they gave up two lives the one they were living and the one they would have lived. When they died, they gave up their chance to be husbands and fathers and grandfathers. They gave up their chance to be revered old men. They gave up everything for our country, for us. We owe them a debt we can never repay. All we can do is remember them and what they did, and why they had to be brave for us.
0: We are continuing our study in the book of Leviticus this morning. And just for a little bit of review, uh, Leviticus was written through Moses, um, and it was written to the Levites, uh, the, the Israelites. It's basically a guidebook for holy living for the Israelite people, because remember they had been in slavery in Egypt for over 400 years, and so they were so caught up in the culture of Egypt that they didn't know how to worship God. They didn't know... Uh, about morals and all of those things. So God is teaching them how to worship him and he's teaching them uh, how to live a moral life. They have to be transformed by the renewing of their minds, much like some of us. uh, You know, there, there there was a time when I had to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. You know, some of you may have grown up in church and you may have grown up in the ways of the Lord. I myself was a little bit more stubborn, not quite as stubborn as Roger, but I was still kind of stubborn, <laughs> and so I was very, very caught up in the ways of of the the world for a long time before I realized my need for a savior and before I surrendered my life to him, and then I had to be transformed. I had to uh, learn about him by going to church by by reading his word by having conversations with other Christians by finally listening to my parents (laughs) Um, and and connecting to him in prayer. I had to be transformed. And the the Levites here, the the Israelites here, they're up close and personal learning this directly from God. He is speaking directly to their leader uh, at Mount Sinai, and he's giving all these instructions to them there. So they're being taught up close and personal. Leviticus is like a procedures manual uh, for the, the Israelites' way of living and for the priests, the way that they're to conduct sacrifices and, and those sorts of things. And so the, the priests, they were, um, they were our representative to God and they were God's representative to the people. And so they had a, a very, very important role. And as Dennis pointed out last week, in order to be a priest, you had to have Levi genes, G E N. Yes, genetically, they had to be uh, from the lineage, from the, a, a descendant of Levi. Therefore, they were called Levites. And then we have the book of Leviticus written to them. I think it should have been called Leviticus, but nobody asked me, so we're going to call it Leviticus. But unlike much of the Bible, um, where it's an instruction book to us, this was an instruction to them. And it's not something that we have to live out today, thank you, Jesus. Right? We don't have to sacrifice animals today. Uh, but during this time, they did. And, uh, and, and, and we don't have to actually live this out, but they did. So we, what we're seeing here in the Old Testament is that Jesus was drawing near to his people. He actually had them set up a tabernacle in the center of their camp so that he could literally and figuratively be at the center of their lives because he wanted to be close to them. And so what we're seeing though is that as, as God draws near, there's obstacles to that because the people, he is holy and they are not, we are not. And so God, in his greatness, in his love for us, He He developed a way. He developed a way to connect to them. And last week, Pastor Dennis I did an acrostic over the word COVID. And in that he talked about how we, you know, over the past year we've been through a lot of changes, a lot of regulations, a lot of guidelines that we've had to follow, you know, wearing masks and taking our temperature and sitting six feet apart and all of these things in order to be in the presence of each other again, right? And here in Leviticus, he's talking about, he's telling the Levites what it takes to be in the presence of God. Also last week, Pastor Dennis posed the question how can an unholy people live in the presence of a holy god and the answer is atonement a very simple explanation of atonement is paying a price to wipe the slate clean and so as christians to to draw near to god we have the the price had to be paid to wipe our slate clean to renew that relationship so that we could present ourselves to the lord holy and pure. So how do we do that? For them it was for it was through offerings and sacrifices. Through offerings and sacrifices. And and Pastor Dennis talked about last week that there are there are five sacrifices, and we're going to talk about all of those today uh, in chapters one through seven of Leviticus. So we are covering seven chapters. But I'm not going to read every single verse. Uh, We don't have time for that. And some of it is repetitive. And I want you all to stay awake. So we're not going to read every verse, but we are going to cover this text very, very thoroughly. So let's jump right in. There's five types of offerings. Offerings and sacrifices uh, were two words that were used interchangeably in this text. So if you hear me say offerings or sacrifices, I'm talking about the same thing. Um, but there were, there were five, uh, offerings and they were made for one of two reasons. So the first three that we have are the burnt offering, the grain offering and the peace offering. And they were offered to say, thank you. They were offered in worship and thanksgiving to God. And then the last two were to say, I'm sorry, the sin offering and the guilt offering. So there was there was two reasons to make an offering. It was either for worship or for forgiveness. To say thank you or to say I'm sorry. And so in those first three, in the ones that say uh, in the ones that say thank you, they are offered voluntarily. They're offered voluntarily, and the last two are are mandatory. To, to offer. So, and through these sacrifices, we learn about the cost of sin. We learn that a price has to be paid for sin. So, God developed the system of sacrifice to restore our relationship with him. And then ultimately, he sent Jesus to earth to die for us to be the ultimate sacrifice that would cover all sin for all time. So, we'll see today that this system of sacrifice really is all about Jesus. And Jesus will ultimately fulfill all of these sacrifices, which makes them no longer necessary. Hebrews 9.22 says, in fact, according to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified with blood. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So in God's system, a life has to be given for a life. And in this case, animals were given to save the life of a person. If we look at Leviticus chapter 1, Verse 4, it says, you are to lay your hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it will be accepted on your behalf to make atonement for you. So as the animal was sacrificed, the person would actually lay their hands on the head of the animal, and they would confess their sins and symbolically transfer their sins into that animal. And then the animal would be killed to atone for their sins. The, the animal would be killed in their place as their substitute, and innocent life would be taken as their substitute, just like, like Jesus died for us, an innocent life as a substitute for our sins. So he would slit the throat of the animal and watch the life pass from another living being as a result of his sin. So it had to be a heart-wrenching moment. But once complete... His sins would be atoned for. His, his transgressions would be forgiven and his slate would be clean for those sins up until that time, because you see, this was temporary. This only took care of the sins up until that point. So these offerings had to be offered over and over and over again. Later on the death of Jesus, our perfect spotless lamb would take care of our sins once and for all. It would be the final, the final sacrifice to be made because his sin dealt with all. I mean, because his sacrifice dealt with all sin, past, present, and future, once and for all. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. But here in Leviticus, the people are just beginning to learn about the wages of sin, and so let's take a look here at the burnt offering. That's our first offering. It's found in chapter one. This offering was made once. In the morning and once in the evening, so twice a day, every day, it was made at the same time as the morning and the evening prayers. Uh, like I said, it was a voluntary offering, and it, was, it wasn't made for a specific sin, but it was a daily reminder of the worshiper's sin nature and their desire to be back in relationship with, with God. The animal would have been a, a bull or a ram or a goat or sheep or something from their herd. It would not be a wild animal. It wouldn't be a deer, it wouldn't be a mountain goat or anything like that. It would have to be uh, something from their herd. And as a general rule for all offerings, the sacrificial animal had to be at least one year old and unblemished. So it couldn't be sickly, it couldn't be injured, it couldn't have any, uh, any visible defects. And the, the priest would inspect that when they brought the animal in to make sure of that. In the burnt offering, the worshiper actually kills the animal themselves. The priest didn't do that. The worshiper did that themselves. And the entire animal would be burnt on the altar. They would take all of their insides out and wash them and then burn them on the altar, which was symbolic of the fact that the Lord cleanses us from the inside out. The only thing that was left was the the skin. The skin would be divided up between the priest as kind of a payment to the priest And we see this offering fulfilled in the New Testament in Jesus' sacrifice because just like this sacrifice consumed all of the animals being on the altar, all of Jesus' physical life was consumed on the cross. And just as this offering was burnt and a pleasing aroma ascended up to the Lord, we know that later on Jesus ascended to be with the Lord. And then, just like the skin was divided up between the priest, we know that when Jesus died on the cross, that his garments were divided up between the people who officiated over his sacrifice. But most importantly, whereas this sacrifice was temporary, Jesus' sacrifice was everlasting, it was ongoing, and it restored our relationship with God and atoned for our sins. Secondly, we have the grain offering. In the grain offering, the worshiper brings bread or whole grain to the priest and they burn a portion of it, but then they give a portion of it to the priest to eat uh, for food. The grain offering was offered with all of the burnt offerings, so it was offered twice a day as well. And it was to give thanks to God. It reminded the people that all of their food came from God and that they uh, owed all their lives to him. The grain offerings could be prepared in several different ways. But there was three things that were common about them, or not common. These things were, always happened uh, on the, the uh, grain offerings. Number one, they contain no yeast. We see in Leviticus 2.11, it says, Every grain offering you bring the Lord must be made without yeast. Yeast throughout the Bible represents sin. And so we know that, that yeast makes its way all the way through the dough, just like sin infiltrates. Uh, And so there was to be no yeast. Number two, they all did include salt. Leviticus 2.13 says, season all of your grain offerings with salt. Do not leave the salt of the covenant of your God out of your grain offerings. Add salt to all your offerings. So salt was symbolic of God's activity in our lives. Uh, Salt preserves. Salt aids in healing. And salt smothers out a fire. Number three, they all included olive oil. Olive oil represents the Holy Spirit all throughout the Bible. Uh, the grain offering, again, was voluntary. The people could choose to give as much or as little as they wanted to give. It was an offer, offering of worship and thanksgiving, just like us in our worship and thanksgiving. We can choose to worship and thank God as much as we want to, as much as we want to. So the question becomes, how much do you want to? Because we worship and, and, and we thank God through our lives, through the way that we live our lives, through the choices that we make, through the time and the attention that we give to him. So the question becomes, how much do you want to? Now, we don't, we don't, uh, we don't offer grain anymore because Jesus fulfilled that offering as well. When he died on the cross, he represented the the grain offering. He referred to himself as the bread of life. Next we have the peace offering, also called the fellowship offering. In the peace offering, the uh, worshiper brings an animal without defect, just like in the burnt offering. But unlike the burnt offering, when this offering is made, the worshiper actually gets to eat some of it. They get to eat some of it with their family and, and um, are considered to be eating with God and communing with God. So uh, all throughout the Bible, it's considered a sign of a friendship, a, a sign of intimacy to, to share a meal with someone. We do that even today. You know, if you want to get to know someone better, you invite them out to lunch or out to coffee or something like that. When you ask somebody on a date, usually you ask them to go out, and out typically means dinner. Because that's just a great way to get to know someone, uh, to get to know someone better. And, and God craves that kind of relationship with us. In Revelation 3.20, it says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. He craves that relationship with us. Jesus is also the fulfillment of the peace offering. Uh, today we gather together as believers and we partake in what's called the Lord's Supper where we, we take the bread and we take the wine or the grape juice, uh, the, the bread being symbolic of his body, which was broken for us, the wine being symbolic of his, his blood that was shed for us, and we share that together as a church body, as a church family. And when he comes back again, we will sit down for, for a final meal with him. It says, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. So we have that to look forward to. The next two offerings that we're going to talk about are ones that say "I'm sorry," and I'm going to spend a little bit more time on these because these are ones that, that I think that we can really, really apply to our lives. So first, we have the sin offering. Uh, it, this is to atone for what would be referred to as unintentional sin. We see in Leviticus four one through two, it says the Lord said to Moses, "Say to the Israelites, when anyone sins." unintentionally and does what is forbidden in any of the Lord's commands. So from that one short verse, one of the things that the sin offering teaches us is that sin is sin, whether it's intentional or not. You know, when Jesus was on the cross, he cried out, forgive them, father, they know not what they do. And in that he's telling us that you can sin and not realize what you're doing and not know what you're doing. And that that sin needs to be atoned for as well. Because, you know, sin is something that we're pretty good at. We don't have to really think about it. We don't even have to really be, uh, it, we don't have to realize we're doing it. We just do it naturally. And the Lord knew that. Because we are, we are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. And the Lord knew this. And so he made a way. So whether you intentionally or unintentionally sin, it's a sin, just like if you break the law. You know, whether you meant to or not, if you break the law, you break the law. If you're driving down the interstate and you're minding your own business and you're deep in thought and you go down a hill and you pick up some speed and you're still deep in thought and you don't notice it and there's a police officer at the bottom of the hill and he clocks you going 90 and a 70, he doesn't care that you didn't mean to. He doesn't care that you were deep in thought. He doesn't care that you were going down a hill. You were speeding. You broke the law, and he's going to give you a ticket. Just like he does the Corvette that's going 90 just for fun. You still get a ticket. It's like a time that we we were on a youth trip one time, and I had a 15 passenger van full of teenage girls. And we were going down the interstate. Uh, on the other side of Knoxville almost to the other side of Knoxville heavy traffic and Sarah Ferris our children's director was my co-pilot and there was a police officer on the side of the road holding out his radar gun and Sarah waved at him (laughs) I don't know why she waved at him I still don't know why she waved at him but she did and he proceeded to get back in his car and turn on his blue light and come after us (laughs) And so, and I blame Sarah for that, obviously. But, uh, but so, of course, I turn around to all the girls, and I'm like, everybody be quiet. No talking. Shh. You know, be on your best behavior. So, they're listening intently to everything that's said between me and the officer. And the officer walks up to the car, and he says, ma'am, do you know why I pulled you over? And I said, I, you know, really, honestly, officer, I really don't. Because I really thought I was only going like 73, 74 and he went, the speed limit's 55. <laughs> oh. So he gave me a big old ticket. And then when I had to confess this to Pastor Dennis, <laughs> he informed me of two things. One, I needed to slow down. And two, that the church doesn't pay tickets. <laughs> But then I had to tattle a little bit and tell him that there were two vans up in front of me driven by Roger Breeding and Sam Ferris that were going much faster than me. <sighs> I was just trying to catch them. But <clears throat> he he didn't care. So, but anyway. But but if you break the law, you break the law. Speeding is speeding is sin and sin, sin is sin, intentional or unintentional. And we know this. We know this in our own lives don't we? You know, people hurt our feelings all the time. We hurt people's feelings all the time by saying the wrong things at the wrong times, by forgetting things like birthdays and anniversaries and those unintentional little infractions hurt our relationships, you know, and we need to say, I'm sorry to people and to God to restore our relationships So to keep our relationship with the Lord pure, the slate must be cleared and all sin, all sin must be addressed. Because the most dangerous thing about sin is not the consequences. Now the consequences can be rough, but the most dangerous thing about sin is that it interrupts our relationship with God. It comes between us and God and that has to be cleared That has to be cleared because because God doesn't tolerate sin. God hates sin. And, And when sin is tolerated, sin will flourish. We know this in our world today, right? When sin is tolerated, sin will flourish. And God does not tolerate sin. He confronts it. So all sin must be addressed. And so let's take a look at the sin offering. The sin offering is in chapter 4, and chapter 4 is divided into the four uh, segments of the community that would have to make this sin offering. We have the priest, the nation, the elders and the leaders, and the common people. And this is in order, okay? This is in order of economic status, okay? Because, you know, we judge sin based on how big or how little it is, right? We judge sin on if it's a big sin or a little sin. But that's not how God does, okay? And so here in the Bible, he says that um, it's by status or prestige is how the, the offerings are given, okay? So the, the higher your social economic status, the bigger the offering. So the priest, as well as the nation, had to give the largest, most expensive sacrifice, which was the bull. And then it went down from there all the way to the, the poor people could give two doves. The very, very poor people could give flour, but there was never an excuse. There was never any reason that someone shouldn't be able to offer a sacrifice uh, to be able to restore their relationship with God. And if you read through chapter four, you'll notice that the priest offers the sacrifice just like in the other sacrifices. He places his hand on the animal. He uh, transfers, confesses his sin, transfers his sin to the substitute animal and kills that animal. It's a little bit different in his case and in the case of the nation. This is the only one that this is done in. But he would have to actually go into the tabernacle and into the holy place, and he would put his finger in the blood, and he would sprinkle the blood seven times in front of the veil. The veil, if you remember, inside the holy place, divided the holy place from the holy of holies, which the holy of holies is where the presence of God is. Is okay, and so he would sprinkle that blood in front of the veil, and he would put blood on the four horns of the altar. Sprinkling the blood before the veil was a foreshadowing of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, because when Jesus died on that cross, the the separation between us and God was taken away. That curtain was ripped from top to bottom, not from bottom to top, from top to bottom. That curtain was ripped giving us full access to god ourselves we can boldly go to the throne of grace ourselves we don't have to go through a priest anymore we don't have to go through a preacher anything like that we have full access to god ourselves and that that seven times of sprinkling that blood seven times is the number seven is the number of completion and so jesus jesus's death on that cross completed this sacrificial system and we could go boldly to the throne of grace. Something else a little different about this sacrifice, it says in Leviticus 4 verses 11 through 12, it says, but, hide the, but the hide of the bull and all its flesh, as well as the head and legs, the internal organs and the intestines, that is all the rest of the bull, he must take outside the camp to a place ceremonially clean where the ashes are thrown and burn it there in a wood fire on the ash heap. So that was different. All of the the flesh and internal organs and head and legs would be taken outside the camp and burned completely outside the camp, symbolizing the complete removal of sin. It was completely removed from the camp, completely dispensed of, completely fully dealt with, taken care of. Now look at this. In Hebrews 13, verses 11 through 12, it says the high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Okay, so this New Testament writer of Hebrews was referring back to this sacrifice, referring back to the sin sacrifice to, to to tell us that Jesus was crucified outside of the city, okay? That this was a foretelling of the fact that Jesus also would be crucified outside of the city to once and for all take care of our sin completely, that it would be completely dispensed of, completely disposed of. It was a foreshadowing of that crucifixion to say that our sin is fully dealt with through the blood of Jesus Christ. Last but not least, we have the guilt offering. The guilt offering was also known as the trespass offering, and it was always a ram. The guilt offering was offered for one of two reasons, uh, an offense against God or an offense against people. And if you look back at the uh, Ten Commandments, you'll notice that that is also divided into those two parts, offenses against God and offenses against people. And then later in the New Testament, when Jesus is asked about the law, he makes a statement that divides it into two parts as well. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your minds, and love your neighbor as yourself. So he also divided it into those two parts. So the guilt offering uh, was offered for one of these two things, an an offense against God, an offense against people. Now, the, the one big difference on the guilt offering is that it required a lot more. It cost a lot more. The uh, person had to, to repay whatever the value of the offense was to the person, plus they had to pay a fifth above that, plus they had to offer a lamb. So this one was, or a ram, excuse me. So this one was much more costly. Later we see that there was a price to be paid for our sin as well. And that Jesus, Jesus Christ paid that price in full. Jesus, on the cross, the last words that he said, the last word that he said was tetelestai. Tetelestai means it is finished. It also means paid in full. They often, on their, their legal documents and their billing, back in those days, they would, they would stamp tetelestai, which meant paid in full. Jesus Christ paid our debt. In full. And when he cried out to tell he was signaling to the Jew, to the Jewish people That it is finished. No more sacrifices need to be made. It's finished. This is it That he was paying the ultimate and taking care of it all So as you see his death fulfilled all the sacrifices, all of our sins are forgiven We don't have to make sacrifices anymore well, we don't have to sacrifice animals anymore, at least. But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, truly a follower of Jesus Christ, there are some sacrifices to be made. There are some sacrifices. Uh, in Romans 12, 1, it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. So what does that mean? As we grow in our relationship with the Father, there's inevitably some things that we will cast aside, that we will give up, that we will kill off in our lives, so to speak. There are some sacrifices to be made, some, some behaviors, some attitudes, some, uh, maybe some habits and some friendships. And, and those aren't all the same for us. You know, my sins are not your sins. Your sins are not mine. We all have different things that we deal with. So, our, you know, they'll be similar, but they'll be different for all of us. they sins no less. Um, I didn't surrender my life to, to God until I was in my mid-20s. So I had a lot. I had a lot of stuff. I had a lot of, of habits and behaviors and attitudes that didn't coincide with the way that my father would want me to live. And so over the years, I've, I've eliminated those things from my life more and more. I still have things I'm working on. We all do. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. You know, I still have a lot. Of, I still mess up a lot. I still act up a lot. If you know me very well, you probably know that. You've probably experienced that. But, uh, but we all have things that we're working on, and we always will. Because as Christians, we are to pursue holiness. We are to pursue holiness, not that we'll ever achieve it on this side of heaven, but we are to pursue it daily. So daily living for God requires a daily sacrifice, a daily laying down my will for his, a daily surrendering what I want for what he wants, a daily lining up my life with his will. Which brings me to my final point, as this sacrificial system that the Lord came up with also tells us that the Lord knew that his people, even after they were saved, even after they considered themselves to be his people and were following him, that they would continue to sin, that they would continue to sin. So he prescribed a system for dealing with our sin. You know, I think that that's a question that many of us have. You know, we think, well, I'm, I'm following God, but I keep messing up. Like, why do I, I, I say that I'm following him and then I just constantly mess up. Why do I do that? What do I do with that? What do I do about that? And I want you to know that even as early as Leviticus 4, this question was being asked. And God provided a remedy here in Leviticus with the continuous offering of sacrifices, but then ultimately for us through the sacrificial death of our Savior of Jesus Christ. And all that we have to do is acknowledge our need for a Savior, acknowledge our sin, agree with God that it is sin, confess our sin, and ask for forgiveness. And He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Because he loves us that much. And because Jesus has already paid that price. The sacrifice has already been made. The slate is already clean. We just have to accept that. We just have to, we just have to accept that gift. Our, our eternity is secure. It's free. And it's freedom. In closing today, I'd like you to watch this video I think that it really, really um, brings home the point of what we've been studying today. So watch this video.
2: How can we live in God's presence? The answer is given to us in the book of Leviticus. For we in all our sinfulness cannot enter in to God's space. And the reason we can't enter in is because of who we are and who he is. Because God is perfection and we are sin. It's the same reason why darkness cannot exist within light. Because that which is dark cannot remain next to that which is bright. So if we are ever to dwell with God, we must become like light. Or, as the book of Leviticus will tell us, the only way to live with God closely is to be holy as he is holy. But how can we? With all our sin and everything that's broken, how will our darkness be able to enter his presence for even one moment? Well, the book of Leviticus provides us with the answer. It's through something called atonement. Atonement is the price that has to be paid to make humans and God alike. Atonement allowed the Israelites to transfer their darkness onto an offering God had specified. And since the cost of sin is the loss of life, that atoning sacrifice had to die. But then the innocence of the sacrifice was granted to another in an act of gracious application. And that's what Leviticus calls purification, the taking of the dark and making it bright with God's holy illumination. And that's what God gave the nation of Israel, a way for them to be light like him and live near his presence in the temple. That's why this system was essential. That's why atonement was necessary. But the problem was, the effects of this ceremonial system were only temporary. Which is why what Leviticus depicts is not a finished system. Instead, it points to something else in the distance. For the light of the temple, the very presence of God, did not stay in heaven but became flesh and blood. And this God in the flesh, this blood from the Father, put his own life and light on the last and final altar. Jesus' cross fulfills everything Leviticus taught and every sacrifice found within. But no longer would sinners bring their offering to God, for God would be the offering for them. And so, he who is light itself took on our darkness and died for our sins. But then, in that same moment, Jesus brought God's light out to those who could never even approach it. Which is why Leviticus shows us that through atonement, we get to live with God, for Jesus has made us into holy light like he is too. Because the most astonishing part of this good news is that the light of God's presence actually comes to dwell in you.
0: The light of God's presence comes to dwell in you. Isn't that amazing? I think that's amazing. I think it's amazing that the God of all eternity wants to spend eternity with us, with me. He loves us so much. It's all about Jesus. Everything is all about Jesus. It's all about us. It's all about restoring His relationship with us. He did it all for us. If you've not accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, today is the day. He died for you. And all you have to do is come to Him and accept that gift for free. For free. Today's the day. Tomorrow is not promised. Catherine and Pug Hardy, they attend our first service. Usually they haven't been here in about a year because Pug had been suffering with cancer and and Pug passed away yesterday morning. So being in prayer for Catherine. She's having a hard time and Pug will sure be missed. But as a Christian, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So congratulations to Pug today because he's walking with the Lord. And if you're a Christian, or if you make that decision today, then when you pass on from this place, you have eternity with the Lord to look forward to. There's nothing to delay, nothing to delay. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, we thank you for sending Jesus to die for us. We thank you that you love us so much that you just want to be with us, Lord. I pray that you will create a desire in us, a hunger in us for you as you have for us. Lord, that we will love you the way that you deserve to be loved. Lord, help us to live our lives for you in such a way that other people want you to. We thank you For all that you do, may everything we say and everything we do glorify you.